0: This is Benjamin Widmer, author of Pike, and you're listening to the best fucking podcast on the planet.
1: Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden.
0: And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is The Incorruptibles by John Horner Jacobs.
1: Who, uh, hey, didn't we, didn't we break news about that like a year and a half ago? Here yeah, dude.
0: The, I think we were one of the first places he even talked about that.
1: Pretty sure. Just wanted to throw that out there in case anyone else thought they may have scooped us. We had John Horner Jacobs on as part of our Noir at the Bar 2. I don't know what the hell was... What were we calling it?
0: Uh, the Noir at the Bar sessions.
1: There, there you go. Did the yeah. Noir at the Bar sessions. Probably like a year and a half ago. And he talked quite a bit, if you want to go back and listen, um, about the Incorruptibles.
0: That's right. But um, And at the time, he had only had the Southern Gods and um, this Dark Earth books out. Um, but here is his bio which kind of explains he's kind of been quite prolific since then john hunter jacobs is the author of southern gods and this dark earth and the 12 fingered boy series of young adult novice from carol donda labs (laughs) (laughs) carol donda labs um which i think it's like at four it's like three or four books now right
1: i have no idea i don't know all i know is that I'm pretty sure that you talked took the author bio because it was going to be easier but can you tell us who's who who does that series of books
0: who does the series of books carol do <laughs> I think it's
1: carol carol rhoda i think is what that's supposed carol to be. <laughs> i like your Duhatana. version much better
0: <laughs> yeah uh well i was trying to like i was reading and talking at the same time so um i didn't have the luxury of just like looking at a word but anyway um those are this family in the South of America, which is not to be confused with South America, um, where he is also a musician and a graphic artist. I forgot that. He's like totally a graphic uh, designer and stuff, but uh, I'm, I have to imagine that with this uh, young adult series and, and um, now coming out with The incorruptible, he's been really, really busy with writing lately. I hope so anyway.
1: I, uh, I do know that I, I uh, follow him on Twitter, which I haven't used very much lately. I've kind of fallen out of love with Twitter, but I do know that he was tweeting a lot about his new job, um, which I'm assuming is probably his current job, and, or his most recent one, and some of it was really goddamn amusing, because he was like, I don't know, at one point I think he was like the only white guy working at the place or something, <laughs> and it's right about like advertising for African American I don't know, but some of it was really amusing, so I don't know how much of that was true or not, but at any rate.
0: So you're saying check out his Twitter
1: yeah, check out his Twitter if he still has one because I think the last time I even checked Twitter was probably like a month and a half ago. Wow, dude, that's crazy. He may not have a Facebook, though. I don't know. I think he's one of those guys. I think he does. Yeah. I think he does. Okay. We're really up to date on his social yeah, media. Yeah, we're, we're really on it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, we're not here to talk about John Horner Jacobs and his job. We're here to talk about this book. This book, the book. In the contested and unexplored territories at the edge of the Empire, a boat is making its laborious way upstream. Riding along the banks are the mercenaries hired to protect it from raiders, bandits, and most of all, the stretchers. Elf-like natives who kill any intruders into their territory. The mercenaries know this is dangerous, deadly work, but it is what they do. In the boat, the drunk governor of the territories and his sons and daughters make merry. They believe that their status makes them untouchable. They are wrong. And with them is a mysterious, beautiful young woman who is the key to peace between warring nations and survival from the empire. When a callow mercenary saves the life of the governor on an ill-fated hunting party, the two groups are thrown together. For Fisk and Shu, two tough, honorable mercenaries surrounded by corruption, who know they can always and only rely on each other, their young companion appears to be playing with fire. The nobles have the power, and crossing them is always risky. And although love is a wonderful thing, sometimes the best decision is to walk away. Because no matter how untouchable or deadly you may be, the stretchers have other plans. Um, Yeah, a little lengthy synopsis and covers um, quite a bit of ground there. Um, More than, again, for people who are not familiar with our... or at least my particular treatment of synopses is that if I'm going to read and review a book, I don't read the synopsis first. It's very rare. I mean, if I'm like out trolling for books for us to review, I do. But if I just know that this is something we're going to cover, I don't I don't bother with the synopsis.
0: Yeah, I didn't read the synopsis. This The way first time taking it in was when you just read it. And it was interesting because um, it, it's interesting to see how different your memory of the story is from the synopsis when you're hearing of the synopsis for the first time after you, you read the book. Um, and this, this definitely puts some things in the book in a different perspective than maybe I took them in or would have maybe taken them if I'd read the synopsis beforehand.
1: I found it kind of interesting because when, you know, and I mentioned, here's me plugging another episode again, but when I mentioned our interview with, with, uh, Jacobs, this sound anything like what he said, like his, like, and I understand he was kind of talking about a book that was, um, done and was being kind of shopped around at the time, but, totally different synopsis from what he had said right like it's not just
0: well there's I mean the, there's a big part of it that isn't mentioned in um, in the in the synopsis and it's kind of the main uh, fantastical element of the world that this book takes place in and is like the demon powered machinery right some of the most fantastical things but like the most fascinating things as well
1: well yeah and kind of the I don't know. I'm trying to remember what it is that he said. Kind of like if Rome never fell. Right. And the concept that we're really reading about kind of a a merging between, this is totally my take and some of what he said, but um, a merge between the Romans and steampunk Mm -hmm. and a supernatural kind of element like other, which is mentioned in here, but um, the stretchers, which are a whole nother type of being like a different, another species, but with some, you know, I don't know, supernatural element to them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll give you that. I mean, the synopsis, and that's the weird thing is like, I think the synopsis does a lot of like, I think it's definitely built to tease um, because some of the things that are, are worded in a way that would make you think one thing when in reality it's kind of the opposite or like think one thing is, is like, for example, the, key to peace between warring nations or whatever that said uh, technically that's true but that implies that the nations are currently warring at, at least the way I, I heard it when you read it and in reality this woman is the key to to keeping a peace that exists and not leading to war right
1: yes and you know it's funny that you mentioned that because that's one of the things i thought about that too is in re what going back to what you had said about a synopsis making you look at a book differently mm-hmm. I thought that was way into spoiler territory that we would not be talking about how this particular character, let's just break out for what it is, Isabel. um, I thought that was like way into spoiler territory that would have been in the, and then a bunch of other stuff happens that sends them on this weird (laughs) quest like that. We don't like really talk about that, but we're talking about it because it's in the synopsis. So
0: yeah. Synopsis throw through the door open. It's like, uh, it's like uh, like in the courtroom. If if they open the door, we have free reign to talk about it, right?
1: Yeah, it's
0: like sorry. My Boston, my neighborhood
1: right? has the crazy partying. I don't know if you can actually hear the thumping bass in the background there. Oh, that's your bass. Yeah, that's my bass. Oh, it's suburbs bass. I know, right? Suburban bass for once. Um, but yeah, it's I'm going to, and I think that that um, John Jacobs, being somebody we've had communication with before, I'm um, kind of wondering. I'd like to know and maybe he would um, he would uh, indulge us if he if this is his synopsis or if this was just written by the publisher I'm uh, my money's on the publisher.
0: It does feel kind of publisher produced um, but it, it, it's compelling like if I read that synopsis I'd want to read the book so I have to give him credit for that at least. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so now let's talk about the actual book and not this not this synopsis <laughs> that somebody wrote. Um,
0: <laughs> we're gonna give it to you straight.
1: Yeah, this book takes place. I um, I just watched Streets of Fire this past week, and and it made me think of this. It, it, in another place in another time was was the kind of the Streets of Fire um, intro. You know, when it first started, that's what it said, and mm-hmm. it's kind of what it reminds me of because it's it's our world, but it's not. And in talking to um, Jacobs, you know, he had said if the Roman Empire never fell during our interview. So I, uh, that gives me a little more guidance. Of course, I listened to that interview after I was done mm-hmm. reading the book because it's kind of it feels alternate reality. Alternate history, I guess, is is probably the term that I would go with for mm-hmm.
0: this. Yes. And if you look at the map, there's a map on the inlay. Um. It says, the territories in the reign of Tamberlane in the year 2638, since the founding of Immortal Ro- Room. We call it Room. So, this is the future, buddy.
1: You know, I don't...
0: Um, Unless it's yeah, like an alternate I just, history where 2638 means a different, like, measure of time.
1: Well, yeah, it? I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, obviously, we count by B.C. and A.D., but see that all would have been bc so i don't know how they were counting
0: oh man when did rome exist i don't know anything about history
1: oh we have google <laughs> hold on because i just clicked on the tab of course that has um uh, what's that what's that model's name we were talking about beforehand
0: <laughs> oh bar whatever
1: no no the other one At any rate jennifer robin lawrence? and i were doing some some research on a recent news story breaking news that came up so it's a little bit of a surprise jennifer lawrence no, the other one, the 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 Sports Illustrated one.
0: Oh, uh, she does the cat da- the cat
1: daddy. <laughs> her exactly, uh,
0: uh, Kate Upton.
1: Kate Upton, yeah, no, that's no, the no, tab it I clicked on was a very naked Kate Upton.
0: She did the the cat daddy video or
1: the dance, and that's probably what I know her from most. So see, here's the thing: 27 BC to 476 AD was the Roman Empire. My point is. Oh, oh, here, and this might actually give it... In the, west, in the West, that's what we say, that it was 27 BC to 476 AD. In Eastern, whatever that means, so however they counted the years in the East, it was 330 to 1453. So by what you're saying, the year 2600 would have been 1200 AD, but if the Roman Empire didn't necessarily fall, but more kind of mutated.
0: Mm. All right.
1: Because they do talk about... Um, you know, senators and and all that stuff, and they're referred to as Roman, R U M A N, right? You know, but yeah, a lot of it, the names all seem to be very Roman in nature. At least the ones that are the uh, the nobles. Yep, definitely. So there you have it. About this is so. This is our take on it. It's like the year 1200 A.D., but the Romans never fell.
0: Yeah. And our main characters are essentially mercenaries. This is kind of mentioned in the uh, the synopsis, but they're um, they're kind of like they're mercenaries who work for the what we're going to just call the Ruman Empire, right? The Ruman uh-huh. Army. Yep. Um, and they get hired, um, like the synopsis said, basically to um, escort uh, this steamship uh, along a, on, on a journey. They're basically traveling from what you know, point A to point B. These guys are, are mercenaries that are, that, are, that are escorting this steamship, and in the process they meet the nobles who own um, uh, the ship and the, the mysterious Isabel, who was mentioned in the synopsis as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And one of the main things that they're escorting and guarding from are, uh, are called, as it said in the um, synopsis, are called stretchers. Um, they have a more that's kind of like the slang name for them Um, they're vatir v-a-e-t-t-i-r i I guess um and they're in the synopsis kind of described as elfin but uh they're they're giant they're huge right like seven feet tall 10 feet tall yeah 10 feet tall something like that um which is interesting because i don't think the romans measured in feet
0: oh you think this is like a metric system thing they're like my height
1: I have no idea, man.
0: Well, one of the sh- characters is a dwarf, so they could just be exaggerating everything.
1: Yeah, no, I think that they're very, very, very big because they're bigger than the regular human. So I'm assuming, yeah, ten feet is probably.
0: Yeah, and they're and they're just kind of evil, almost supernatural creatures. Um, they're they're they kill. They like they're just very murderous and and um, they they're an entirely different species. They speak a different language. They're almost kind of demonic in a way.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I think there's some other stuff going on in the background there because we do find out through one of the characters who I'll mention now, a shoestring is his uh, his nickname, um, who is uh, a kind of a from a dwarf people himself uh, or from a dwarf people, I guess not to be confused with giant elves. <laughs> He's a <laughs> Dvarger, d v e r g a r, Um, You know, he talks a little bit about history because he the, his people tend to live you know a couple hundred years, I guess, but. He talks about a history where they coexisted and all they did was trade and they weren't evil so something has happened something has transpired to make at least this particular um group of stretchers in this area um as rob said kind of nasty mean people because before that seemed like they kind of kept to themselves and they did some trading with these dwarves and they kind of did their own thing but yeah mm-hmm. late yeah. they tend to have been riled up
0: yeah, so they're just basically this huge threat to this uh, this steamship, and I just got—I mean, I love this whole steamship thing. Like, um, if you look at the cover of the book, um, it's like this kind of really dark with a light white line, kind of line art um, design of a of a steamship uh, on the water with some mountains in the distance and uh, a fire like front and center and everything, and it's using that. Um, very recognizable font for the title, but anyway. Very
1: uh, um, <laughs> recognizable to you, apparently. <laughs>
0: apparently, but <laughs> I will, uh, Who? let's do a thing where if someone can, now I, I was going to say we'll do a contest if someone can tell me, then it'll be like two minutes later someone says it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're, they're they're escorting a steamship, and the interesting thing about the steamship is what I found very fascinating when Jacobs was telling us about the story is powered by demon energy. So, um, in this world, there's a a common source of of power is harnessing um, demons, like basically summoning and trapping demons and using their like hell fire kind of energy to power, um, you know, machinery and and light lights and stuff like that. But also, and this is so badass, and it's and it's pretty early on in the book um, uh, for weapons what would you think about the weapons
1: i thought it was really really cool so conceptually um this book um it kind of reminds me of how we talked about rail c um way back when when we reviewed hmm. that you know how it's this completely different world and i think we had the same conversation like is it the future i think we think it's the future we're not really sure you know kind of thing right uh, the bullets also powered by demons that are kind of imprisoned somehow in the shell of the gun and there is what powers the bullet and then once their energy is spent they just go back to hell Um, but conceptually this book it's the same concept of how the steamships are powered but the thing i found the coolest is that there are these people they're called engineers yep and they are the ones the you know spirit whisperers, whatever you want to call them they're the ones that figure out and do the summoning and trapping of these demons to power um various things because they they make mention of other things too that are that are demon powered, just like little you know gas lights of sort you know i mean just street lamps and mm-hmm. stuff that are powered by them as well but again conceptually what we have is romans who um, they're supernatural, you know, kind of elves and dwarves. Um, there's demons that power things that these people, these engineers have been able to come up with. And then you have basically cowboys, which is what the the mercenaries mm-hmm. that are the main characters of this story. Uh, thing. So you've mixed um, numerous different kind of genres together, but in just this incredibly interesting way.
0: Yeah, because it all fits so well together. It's like... It reads kind of like you said, like a Western, but also in a, I guess this would be, I've been using the term demon punk, like mm-hmm. steampunk, but with demons, uh, demon punk world, um, but with like the kind of hierarchy and, and, and political structure of, of like ancient Rome. It's really interesting. It's really, hey, Jacobs had to do a lot of thinking about this and he pulled it off great, greatly, I think.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it, you know, it... it <laughs> And again, not to say that it's a rip off or whatever, but if people kind of um, from something that's been very widely read, not by everybody on this podcast, um, think, uh, you know, Stephen King and, and kind of the gunslinger, kind of the same feel along those lines where you have the, um, you know, kind of cowboy style mixed in with the supernatural, but now throw in, you know, Roman senators and and that type like the nobility and actual demons that are being controlled and powered by things that's kind of what you have yeah. a, a similar feel to um, the Dark Tower series basically I will take your word for that because you missed out on the greatest series of all time
0: apparently well you keep telling me I'm gonna be able to watch a TV show where the fuck's that
1: yeah I don't know it's because um, oh god damn it. it's Richie Cunningham can't get his shit together and <laughs> get it produced <laughs> you leave it to that dope if you gave it to the Fonz shit would just get done
0: I was gonna say it's that old brother we're out there guy who did, went and did that other counselor movie or whatever even know who what did the old brother we're out no I don't the guy that was gonna be who's the main character that's a badass
1: oh um yeah I uh Jep something whatever his name is Javier Depardem is that who we were talking about no are you still <laughs> laughing at me
0: uh, Javier, yeah, Bardem, not that Gerard guy. Depardieu.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that Gerard Depardieu <laughs> guy, he was pretty big, though, right? Like, in the early 90s? Yeah. You know, like that in-card movie? Is that him?
0: <laughs> wasn't he in all the chick flicks? Like, he was like a chick flick Fabio type of person?
1: Yeah, well, no, wasn't he a big dude? God, man. If you guys could hear it, this is exactly... Like, we had this, this celebrity photos leaked... Um <laughs> conversation before the podcast, and this is exactly how it sounds, because I know zero about pop, pop culture. <laughs> I was going to call it pop culture, too, because I don't even know what it's called. Depardieu.
0: I'm searching for it, too. You write yeah, I
1: can't spell this anywhere close enough to get it to pull anything up. Life of Pi. Pi was a good movie. Oh, He not-
0: wasn't in Pi, he was in Life of Pi. Sorry.
1: Oh, this is the guy I was thinking he was. He was in Green Card. <laughs>
0: You weren't thinking about Javier Bardem?
1: No, no, I was. But when I said Depardieu, and I said, oh, yeah, that's the guy from Green Card. Whatever, they're both Frenchies.
0: Man in the Iron Mask, Cyrano de Bergerac.
1: There's nothing good about him. Holy crap, is this guy in a lot of movies, but it seems like a lot of more in France.
0: Well, I mean, he is French.
1: Yeah. So is Axel Tayari. How many films has he been in, yeah. France or otherwise?
0: How many times has Gerard Depardieu played a man named Jean-Francois? <laughs>
1: Anyway, uh,
0: as far as back to the plot a little bit, because I know we're really just kind of there's this problem with this book is there's like so much uh, interesting information, not only from the point of view of uh, the world that he built and everything, um, but also the characters, the, the types of c- creatures and characters, but also um, there's some plot. So, um, kind of what sets us on our path is in the course of our mercenaries who are um, shoestring. Uh, there's a gentleman named Fisk, who is uh, kind of a disgraced nobleman. Uh, he's just like a normal human person. And then um, they have a, a, like a newbie named Banty. Uh, his last name is Bantam, but they call him Banty, uh, along with him. And they're the mercenaries that are, that are the escort for this uh, family. Uh, in the course of them interacting, and at one point there's a hunt that goes crazily awry, but it kind of mixes these mercenaries more with... Um, like face-to-face with this noble family and everything there's some love in the air and when uh, when basically like uh, there's it's kind of weird because all this crazy shit's going down there's a lot of like family infighting and drama and like what happens when so-and-so takes over the family and all this and then suddenly everybody's in love and some people run away um, so just without dancing around it too much isabel the one that's uh keeping everybody from being at war runs off with Banty who uh, is the newbie mercenary who is actually the son of a nobleman. Um, and everybody has to go try and catch them before shit goes down. And, and basically the good uh, relations between nations falls apart if uh, something goes wrong with uh, uh, something happens to Isabel.
1: All right. Here's what I have to say. <laughs> Rob made that all sound very, very important. And you did. You did a good job at it. Um. I think that's just really a catalyst mm-hmm. for for what we're really reading the book for, and that's um, Fisk and Shue and then some of the nobles, you know, on and off through a series of adventures, you know, trying to track um, track her down and what sacrifices they have to make to do so. That's really where, where the book gets gets solid, good, and really exciting.
0: Yeah, so,
1: I mean, let's let's be honest. Did you really give a shit about Isabel or Banty? that they ran off. I mean No, they were really tertiary characters. They weren't yes. very important. Yeah, so it was just the catalyst to, to get what we really wanted to see, which was a, a straight up showdown between um Fisk, um, who goes after them is kind of the the head guy going after them. And you know, this happens again through a series of events. Um going after a, a stretcher, um uh you know the elfin giant <laughs> characters or <are> also <laughs> Vatir Vatir? yeah uh, yeah okay all right um you know who who also has a beef with this particular one which i'm not going to go into because i think the way that kind of unravels is uh is, is pretty cool
0: yep and that's really it like then so i mean the plot the loose plot that we've been able to give you without spoiling stuff is probably the first maybe half of the book and then man it just turns when it becomes a chase into something kind of different um, a lot more fast paced tons more action and um some surprising twists and stuff that were really kind of cool
1: yeah all in all i mean you know it it kept i'll be honest then i told rob this and i I think he feels the same way it started off kind of slow yeah yeah it's kind of like meh and and, uh, to be honest and I, i say this to myself at some point during you know some books this being one of them if I wasn't committed to reviewing this for the podcast, would I close this book? And you know what? There are a couple times, probably in just in the first twenty or thirty pages, where my answer was yes. Yeah. It just wasn't wasn't doing it for me from a story standpoint. But um, I am glad that I stuck it out because it got very, very uh, considerably better, um, and and was really interesting to kind of work out some of these little mysteries and things throughout the course of the book.
0: I was thinking about that too. Um, I went back and reread the first two chapters after finishing the book. And it's so much easier to read after you understand the world and, and the characters and the slang. Because there's, I mean, there's not a lot of slang, but there's words that are used that are very specific to this world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes more to understand them. So reading through it after reading the book, it was really easy to read those chapters. Uh, but coming into the world as it is, just un familiar with anything was very difficult so it feels like those chapters were written by a guy who had already written the book you know what I'm saying like he has already lived with his mind in that world for so long that he doesn't realize it's foreign to the readers
1: it's very interesting that that you went back and did that and that's the kind of result you saw from it unfortunately the drawback to that is the average person reading a book is done with a book closed and puts it down
0: yeah but Um, I think it's worth it to push through because the actual story. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Now, in defense of of John Horner Jacobs, um, this is sci-fi slash fantasy, whatever you want to call it, which Rob and I are not accustomed to at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that somebody who reads a lot of sci-fi and or fantasy maybe is so used to this that for them it wouldn't have been uh, as difficult or wouldn't have seemed as big a deal as it did to us.
0: Mm, Possibly. They're just... The, the their aperture for taking in new information is a little bit wider than ours or something?
1: Yeah, I mean you're just, if if the your chosen genre that you read always starts off with a bunch of shit that's completely unknown to you <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, you just, you, you accept that and, you know, and, and you just kind of absorb it or you, I don't know if you read it in a different way or pay attention differently, you and I are lazy readers who just have everything handed to us because of the types of genres that we read in. There's usually not a lot of in-depth, like, trying to figure out what the landscape of a story is. It's more trying to figure out the relationships between people.
0: Right. Right. I mean, the toughest thing for us is if, like, uh, that Barry Graham uh, story that we had at, at the Crime Wave, uh, where he was talking about a shooter being a gun, I was like, "Oh yeah, a shooter is a gun. Like that's the toughest, that's the biggest challenge for us." Yep, pretty that's much. A, that's our big hurdles. Yeah,
1: because we're lazy readers. Let's face it, we're American. We could do a lot of work, we wouldn't do this. So, yeah. Anything else you want to talk about, story wise?
0: All right, so. <laughs> yeah, there's actually one other thing that I want to talk about really quickly, and this is going to be such an in joke that I'm just uh, subjecting our listeners to it more than anything. But so the stretchers are supposed to be these really like ten foot tall, uh, elven looking, you know, kind of. I always I, I started out picturing them very evil until one of the names of one of them, <laughs> one of the names of one of them came up, and uh, one there was apparently there was one that was uh, captured at one point in the book and through whatever needed to happen to make it happen they found out the, it was a female stretcher and her name was Agrippina and <laughs> immediately in my mind I, I flashed to uh, when Livius and I worked together we had a co-worker and her name, we called her Pina but her full name I believe was Agrippina, right? Oh yeah, I, I confirmed
1: this with another former co-worker <laughs> right when I came across <laughs> that name
0: Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> and she was uh, probably about, you know, five feet tall and just this
1: monstrous troll. Go ahead, and <laughs> say.
0: Oh, sadly, it's true. She was kind of goblin-y. goblin uh, She had kind of a cackle. Like, she when she laughed, it was kind of a cackle and it actually, like, frightened Livius. He was afraid to interact with her because of I... how creepy she looked like a witch
1: i believe I said if i ever made a horror movie and you needed that that maniacal laughter in the background it, it would be her now you got to spend a lot more time with her oh, God. um than i did because i was able to avoid her um but yeah uh yeah so um i don't know if john horner jacobs ever met her but i mean you know she inspired me at some point to, to use her in a in a the most horrifying movie ever um so maybe she inspired him too i don't know
0: i mean he did make her quite monstrous
1: yes so so that's that's really all I wanted to add. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably the most in joke you'll ever hear on this podcast. So, she was awful. Um, all right, um, you got any quotes? I have frighteningly few quotes for some reason. I don't know what. <clears throat> I don't know what happened. I did read this on the Kindle, um, so I don't have that excuse.
0: Before we start quotes, I want to say that uh, the boat, the steamship that the the nobles owned and were riding on, was named the Cornelian. And uh, I live on Cornelia Avenue, so that jumped out at me. Hey, there was a character named Livia in it, which is very, very
1: close to Livia's. <laughs> that is very true.
0: Yeah. John Hunter Jacobs is co-opting our life into his fantastic stories. Yes, he is. Which is okay. Um, talking about uh, Fisk, the character Fisk, who I just pictured like a kind of Clint Eastwood style like uh, like cowboy I did, too. Huh. All right. There you go. Um, talking about how he feels about stretchers. He hated them with a passion wronged men reserved for gods, dangerous women, and whiskey. Very nice. I got another one quick, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Um, the stacks, demon-fired, blue ash and cinder skyward as if answering the flames of the fields. Fire calls to fire, they say. I believe that. That's something that he repeats several times throughout the book, so I wanted to make a note of it.
1: I um, just like this really, really short statement. Fear is a taint that corrupts resolution. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, that's that's some really sharp shit right there.
0: Speaking of taints, I got one. But there aren't enough good deeds in the world that can counterbalance the taint you do your soul once you pick up a hellfire pistol. Each bullet takes a bit of you with it.
1: Yeah, I picture you going a different direction when you were talking about speaking of taints.
0: (laughs) Oh, you had to go there, didn't you? Mm Mm-hmm. A man's got to be pretty far gone not to swallow when whiskey is at hand. Uh, Here is a quote that has to do with the god that our dwarven narrator, uh, Shoestring, uh, believes in. The damnedest thing is, everyone is born into this world on the edge of a knife. From the time you're wet and squalling, the slightest tip of the balance and you go sliding away, consumed by remorse or guilt or revenge or even love. Only Yah, which is the god, knows how it will turn out, and he's not telling. Faith is just believing he cares.
1: I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I remember that. Actually, I actually remember that. Faith is just believing he cares. I don't know what happened. I don't know if I lost highlights in my book because I could swear there were more. And I, I, there's the one, and then there's a paragraph. I have no reason, no idea how I why I highlighted it. You so hit the, I, the highlight
0: randomizer. <laughs> oh man! At one point, one of the noble uh, sons gets scalped by uh, one of the stretchers, and um, he kind of goes through this like really slow, hideous kind of healing process and um, I believe this is at a dinner or after a dinner um, that takes place after this scalping happens and, and a, a conversation between someone and uh, the engineer who uh, trapped the demon on the ship, uh, a conversation between him and the father of the noble son who got scalped it appears your eldest son has been scalped Cornelius, said Beleth did they not tell you? Cornelius harumphed. Of course they did, Linnaeus. Of course, but there's hearing about it. He paused and searched ineffectually for a glass. It turned out it was already in hand. And then there's seeing it. <laughs> then I think later he said it almost put him off his food.
1: <laughs> a lot of that scene uh, around that was just great, too. That was great. That was like, it was very
0: indicative of the, the feel of like the Roman aloofness of like nobility felt like they were above any reality like at one point the, the the father the head guy um cornelius gets his leg cut off in battle and he's like oh it'll heal he's like he was very dismissive of it and uh they had killed a bear and he took the like bottom part of a bear leg and, and used it basically as like a, a peg leg he used a bear leg as almost like a trophy replacement of his own leg
1: <laughs> this is great dude every time they mention it, it just made me chuckle <laughs> His little bear prosthetic. <laughs>
0: um, and I think his line was something like, he took my leg, I'm taking his, or something like that. Yep. Uh, I do have a few more of the quotes that I'm going to go through. There's a lot of good stuff in this book. Really quick one. When you're bound by love, you can work through it. I think that was just talking about like any kind of hardships.
1: I think that's just the romantic in you.
0: Mm-hmm. Bound by love. Um, someone reluctantly going going along with something. Well, I said slumping back into my chair. Shit fire. I guess I'm going to have to go, too. Give me some of that whiskey, will you? I'll be damned if I'm going to watch this dog and pony show sober. I can't tell you how often I feel like that. (laughs) Oh, this is kind of a touching moment where it kind of puts into perspective, like, um, political motivations versus actual, like, kind of personal moral motivations. There's a million reasons to do anything. Most folks, human... Diverger, or perhaps Stretcher even, don't know the reasons deep down inside. If you'd asked Livia or me, I had to say that very clearly so people didn't think I was quoting about you, if you'd asked Livia or me why we were cold and hungry and terrified on some haunted mountaintop, we'd have to say, to prevent a war between Room and Madeira. But deep down, we were doing this for a girl, vulnerable, alone, surrounded by monsters, and terrified. There's reasons, and then there's reasons. I thought that was pretty damn fantastic. Lots of good stuff in this
1: book. All right, I'm quoted out. Are you? good? Wrap it up, buddy. All right, um, you know what to say. Started off, started off kind of rough for for my liking. But again, it could be because I'm really not used to sci-fi slash fantasy, whatever you want to call it. Something that isn't easily, you know, just handed to me because it takes place in my world. Um, but holy crap man this guy managed to throw together some genres that um you know you don't normally think of uh, as crossovers um and make probably the most i don't know at least probably in the top two or three like kind of world building books that we've read um for this podcast or maybe that i've read ever um very very interested and uh i believe he had said this is part of a trilogy so we'll see how that goes if the other two um make it out or not but um totally willing to read more about this kind of past slash future roman demon cowboy world um just love the world that it took place in um story was there was nothing wrong with the story the story was good um but love the world uh i think uh for that alone four stars
0: all right four stars um here's what i got uh i only realized now that we've been talking about this book for a while that uh leading up to this i'd read one short story by john horner jacobs and nothing else uh even though we did have a couple books out we didn't have the opportunity to review them on the podcast and as you all know by now if we don't read it for the podcast we don't read it unless it's incredibly special and um, i'm not saying those aren't but they just didn't hit our radar at the right time um as far as the book goes i was really looking forward to the whole demon punk thing and um i i really enjoyed how he did it because he didn't make it the center of everything but he made it a really interesting element and he made it um beyond cool he actually put consequences to the harnessing of, of demons and stuff and he had some interesting twists with that later out of the book as well um so that part was fantastic. I liked the cowboy mercenary feel. It just fit really well with the type of story that he was going for. Um, and actually, one thing that I was going to mention during the quotes, and I forgot to, which I'm going to now, the steamship. I don't know, Olivia, if you noticed this or not, but there was a, uh, there was a character that had to do with the, it. was the captain of the ship, and his name was Samuel Clement. Clement.
1: I vaguely remember him.
0: Did that name kind of sound familiar at all? Mm, no. Samuel Clemens? no mark twain
1: no i mean mark twain sounds kind of familiar but i don't know
0: mark twain is the pen name for samuel clemens you're just fucking with me aren't you
1: no i know mark twain is samuel clemens i know that doesn't mean anything to me i do know who mark twain is
0: anyway there's a a steamship and and a, a name very similar to samuel clemens which is the mark twain name but anyway i drew that parallel so i thought it was kind of an homage to uh some Mark Twain uh, uh, writing involving steamships, um, which made me imagine this this ship going right down the Mississippi River. Uh, but anyway, um, so the cowboy angle, the mercenary thing worked really well with this demon punk kind of feel. And the Roman politics, I mean, the thing that Horner, the, I'm sorry, that Jacobs did so well is... He just did just enough of everything, and he wove them together well. So there wasn't too much of the Roman thing. There wasn't too much of the demon thing. There wasn't too much of any one bit. They were just like, he got what he needed out of it, um, and he made it his own. And and it all wove together really well. As Livius kind of pointed out, the storyline is pretty basic. Um, There's not a lot of complicated stuff that goes on, but um, it's still interesting. And while some characters do seem more like plot devices than than anything else, um, overall he told a story that I enjoyed. And if it does, the book does have a very series feel to it. It felt like it was building up to as the start of a larger story. So I have to imagine that um, while the the story was pretty uh, basic at this level he also had the the job of building an entire world so um overall i thought the story did what it needed to and all the elements that tied together in it were just really really fascinating um so overall i dug the book a lot i am doing a very rare situation where i actually read a book higher than livius and i'm gonna go five stars
1: there you have it the incorruptibles a four star and a five star rating thanks nice. i honestly i'm really looking forward to another book in this series Agrippina
0: comes back and uh, opens some boxes.
1: She opens some boxes and then there's that weird growth on her head. I don't I don't know. I just... She keeps trying to show everybody the tumor under her hair. Oh, man, goblin. Oh, God. She was All right. like, a legit goblin. All right. Um, we don't have a lot of other stuff. Well, I shouldn't say we don't have a lot of other stuff. We have a lot of other stuff for tonight, but <laughs> not a lot for me and Rob. Um, it seems that we're falling behind on putting through um, content that is sent to us by <laughs> AAA, um, a Ott, Adam- so much so that there might even be a special episode coming up just to get everything in. But uh, <laughs> when was it? When we were what the how did baby book even come up? I don't remember. Do you remember?
0: I have no idea. I don't even remember to be honest.
1: Yeah, I, it's been sitting with us for a little bit because, like I said, we're falling far behind. But here is, um, here is one man's interpretation of Rob and I as toddlers. Oh, doing... it
0: was retro booked. It was. Uh, oh, there you go. We're talking about going back and reading a book and doing the review in this in like the the, the, the the time like in the time that it was written. Yep.
1: Another another one of our great ideas that will never have come <laughs> to fruition. But uh, this is what it would sound like in the head of somebody who lives in Wisconsin.
2: Hey kids, this is Bookie the Clown. Walter sucks. Such Book says, Bookie takes a bet, Bookie collects the Vig, and Bookie breaks your daddy's legs. And you're listening to Baby Booked. How much you want to bet you keep listening? Huh? Three boxes of Lego? Welcome to Baby Booked, where two big
3: boys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Wabi Olsen. And I am Little Livius Nedden. Tonight's book is James in the Giant Peach by Roald Dahl. Here's a real bit about the author. Roald Dahl is a writer, a fighter pirate, and an anti-Semite. What's that? I think he's like a big truck. How about a plot synopsis, sis? There's a boy named James, and there's a big piece of fruit. What did you think of the book, Robbie? Well, when me and my mommy went to the store to buy it, there was a big doggy, and it was really furry. Okay, do you have any quotes? The
2: doggy went woof woof woof.
3: I meant from the book. I'm tired now, I need a nap. And I need a cigarette. Let's check baby Book news with Uncle Skip Poopiesly. <laughs> ha, poopy.
2: Uh, bad news, kids. Uh, your Uncle Skip uh, had a little too much um, medicine and needed to have a little lie down. But the good news is he left his notes. And I don't see why I, I can't fill in. So let's see here. There seems to be some instructions for time travel and drawings of some ladies who are... Oh, well, that seems to be inappropriate for a children's show. Ah, here we go. And now, the New York Times Best Readers List. Number five, the nice lady next door. Number four, Mrs. Blankenship from school. Number three, Aunt Rosie. Number two, Meemaw. And the number one reader, according to the New York Times, Your Mommy. And then there seems to be another one of those drawings. Okay, back to you, kids. Lobby. Lobby! we
3: have to finish this show. But I'm playing with my anti-Semite talks. Okay, well, I'm little Livia Sneddon. Until next time keep ice cream, ice,
2: cream, ice cream, man. Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream man. Ice cream, ice cream. Ice cream. Ice cream. Ice cream.
0: All right, that was entertaining and everything. I'm not going to take that away from him, but he totally got us wrong. He didn't understand what we were talking about at all, right?
1: Um, Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's, yeah. <laughs> Which is not uncommon for him. If you think about the ideas that we've had on this show that he has brought to life, they're usually little far off from what we were actually thinking. A
0: little off-kilter. A little now, bit. Here's my thought. I feel like he made me a little dumber than you in this clip, and I'm wondering if he just thinks I'm dumber than you or if he factored in our age difference
1: into his his performance. I'm not going to offer an opinion on that. You think he thinks I'm dumber? All I know is that there will be some kind of sound clip sent in within the next 48 hours that <laughs> will address that in some way as, as a product of booked an episode of booked a booked t-shirt i don't know something's coming to address what he actually thinks
0: we're gonna stop saying we have ideas of things we're gonna do that's that's i think our next big idea is stopping having ideas
1: (laughs) you just did it again (laughs) oh no all right um all right here's i want to say a couple of things because we do have another and this next this next um portion of the episode is going to be very important because it's very serious so before we get to that can we talk about what people might hear next on book now we're going to come back after this but word of warning we are going to insert the longest non-livious non-rob um portion of this show that you've ever heard it clocks in at what 20 minutes it's about 20 minutes long yeah it's not short Yeah, but it's to be taken very seriously. So um, let's talk a little bit. Rob and I have some ideas for for a couple. We've got some some smaller items that we probably all want to wrap up into one episode. So I'm thinking, is this right, Rob? We're probably going to have another interlude episode, but maybe not at the regular time frame. It might not be eight or nine days before we do this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be a midweeker, I think, where we just drop it because we want to catch up with the content that we have to deliver.
1: And because uh, we got stuff, we get stuff piling up. So we have. Um, can I talk about what some of these things are? Go for it. All right. So we will be doing a review for um, I, for those of you who have never listened before. We love, we love. This is horror, or the website slash podcast from from uh, from across the pond. Our uh, our brothers from another continent, and they're releasing yet another chapbook um, called Water for Drowning. So we have that, and. And for some listeners, this might be actual news. I have it on very, very good authority that uh, contributors to the Craig Clevenger Smoke and Mirrors Kickstarter may be starting to see a little something coming probably this week. So expect that there will be a review on the Smoke and Mirrors short film. Um, probably more. A. Adam Auten, who knows seven or eight more clips from him, because they'll have a couple of days to throw them together, and Rob just gave him like 18 ideas. Um <laughs> Yeah, hopefully
0: we'll have some more uh, words-eye view. I'm, I'm, I think we're getting some more regular submissions of that.
1: Yeah, so you know, so lots of stuff. So we're gonna try to throw it a little uh, extra episode in for you guys here in the next uh, few days. So we'll see how it goes. I'm sitting by the mailbox waiting for Smoke and Mirrors right now, and uh, I just realized it's Sunday night, and the mail's not gonna show up until after the holiday.
0: Yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah, and I mean, first of all, it's Sunday yeah second of all it's a holiday weekend oh holidays again labor day coming up tomorrow so the book tradition of doing stuff on holidays is going strong it is
1: um but uh anything else you want to talk about before we kick off our next uh and final segment
0: um no that's it yeah so um look for kind of a mid mid midweek interlude um where we'll talk about a bunch of stuff um and then another, the next episode after that is going right back to a book review where uh, we've got it narrowed down to a couple titles and we're just trying to figure out which one it's going to be right now. Cry Father, the Benjamin Whitmer book is, is wa-
1: wallowing, wallowing,
0: yeah, wallowing in net galley hell. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying I can to reach pretty out pretty
1: much tell you, I don't know that it's going to be that I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> confident that we're not going to be able to, to break the, the net galley
0: it's at yep. that's getting pushed is uh, where we're at with uh cry father right now but um we, we have a couple other titles that we're looking at so um right back to a book review uh after the this uh, kind of midweek interlude but mm-hmm. we have a very special segment of the podcast coming up before we let you go for the evening
1: all right um i'm gonna apologize for not knowing the other guy's name but um npr isn't uh, isn't really my thing but malik timbali is totally my thing so uh What we have here is, uh, um, I guess we should probably just roll it. I don't even know what to say about this.
0: Words Eye View, it's really long, but come back because we'll have a little
4: bit to say about it when it's done. We here at Public Broadcast Radio have been providing programming to you all year long for free, but now we need your help. I'm Malik Tumbali, host of Words Eye View, here with my good friend, Bryce Salad, host of Osteoneurosis. Hi, Bryce.
5: Hi, how are you?
4: Doing great. It's that time you know, of year again. we're
5: doing such important work here, and mm-hmm. it just, it's an honor to be here with you.
4: It is. It's that time that we, we get to reach out, have direct communication with our listeners, and really uh, ask them, implore them to take a few moments to take a pledge and to help save the wonderful programming we have at Public Broadcast Radio.
5: You know, public broadcasting is so important. I remember when I first got my start in New York in the 70s, and I just—I it was the only thing that was there for me. It was like a mother and a father to me, and I know I hear from people all the time who can't get through their day without great shows. Great shows like This American Loaf.
4: Right, Bryce. This American Loaf, one of our premier programs here. It's Ira Grass, famous Ira Grass radios, sweetheart Ira Grass, talking about America, our relationship with bread, and the people who need it.
5: That that that's right, Malik. And uh, everybody looks forward in March to Rye Week. Um, you know, and every kids are always saying the popular spokes phrase of This American Loaf. It's the show that's on the Leavened.
4: That's right. Do you do you have any favorite stories from this American loaf? Because I, I know I have a few.
5: Oh, yes, absolutely. I'll always remember when uh, I was in the studio with Ira as a special guest. And, uh, and we, we were talking about uh, uh, different kinds of uh, ciabatta rolls and the move in fast food sandwiches to, to pretzel rolls and ciabatta rolls away from the, the standard American sesame seed bun and uh, how this had displaced migrant workers in different parts of Micronesia and uh, how that affected uh, uh, people in, 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 on the ground in the states.
4: Yes, that was a great episode. If I remember, it was called Not a Ciabatta. That's right. We talked, think, we
5: talked a lot about
4: ciabatta. I That's think okay. my personal favorite was an episode in which Iragrass went down to South America to really take a look at the origins of the tortilla and really get to understand our relationship with that form of bread. Because it's not just flour, it's also corn. I did not know that.
5: and and let's let's play a real quick clip from that, that episode. I just want a taco sandwich. Give me two taco sandwiches. No, I don't want a tortoise. I want two taco sandwiches. It's just wonderful radio.
4: You know what's one of my favorites? Another show that I love. Hey, hey, don't say that.
5: <laughs> that is good for a laugh, that show.
4: Yes. Absolutely. One of our great hosts, Chester A. Witherspoon, is always there to bring us the best news from politics of people screwing up. You have a a senator that's just recently announced or it's been discovered that he's had an affair. You go, hey, hey, don't say that. We liked you, Senator. Hey, hey.
5: I'm, I'm always interested in seeing what Paula Poundstone is up to. And this show provides me a daily dose of Paula Poundstone.
4: Yes, she is a national trainer. Hopefully, they won't lock her up.
5: Hey, hey, don't say that.
4: <laughs> oh, Bryce, we're having a great time, aren't we?
5: You know, it is a good time, but it's not just about good times. It's also about keeping the doors open at this wonderful network public broadcast radio, bringing you back to shows you love, like the one you're listening to now or the next ones that we're going to talk about.
4: Not only will we be able to keep on the great shows that we've already talked about, but your generous donations will uh, help us fund future drives for donations as well as keep new shows that we want to try out, such as Tales from Times Gone by River. Hmm. That, it's a nice folksy show.
5: Um, you know, it's it's about this, if you've never heard it, it is like old-time radio. It's like a hip, cool version of what your grandparents listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about the foibles Har- of small-town folk.
4: Harrison Wheeler brings us such a touch of rustic class every week with just tales of his youth, tales of other people's youths, tales of the youths of... Time Gone By River itself, Uh, just fascinating radio that kind of you want to sit by a fire and listen to, you know, maybe put an afghan over your legs. Am I right?
5: Absolutely. And and he has over 600 different banjo tracks to play in the background. So at some point, you don't even notice the mouth sounds that come from his jowls. It's just you can just sit down and relax and listen to banjo music and stories about skinning and knees and spelling bees, catching frogs and gathering logs in times gone by, river.
4: That's right. That's right. You know, speaking of that, Afghan, if I can get a little bit off track here, Bryce, not only do we offer great programming all year round, that programming's not going away unless you don't donate. But if you do, that programming is going to stay strong. But it's not just programming that you get. We also have some gifts. One of those gifts, a PBR Afghan.
5: Absolutely. Absolutely. You're sitting at home listening to public radio all day on a recliner. Uh, You need something to snuggle up. Maybe you've got your favorite pet or your favorite friend sitting on your lap, um, drinking a, a cup of tea or decaf. And uh, you just cuddle up and listen to Times Gone by River or one of my favorite shows. uh, And I'm, you know, put your money where our mouth says.
4: That's right. Our own PBR analysts, our financial analysts, run the show, Put Your Money Where Our Mouth Says. It gives you, the listener, tips and tricks on how to invest, how to save money, and just general finance uh, skills, how to do your taxes. A lot of people don't even know how to do that. The fact that this donation is tax-deductible, that's something that happens every year. There's a show just about that that comes out right around this time of year, actually. Yeah, 1040 easy does it
5: with put your money where our mouth says. And my my favorite segment is the last 60 seconds where they put 60 seconds on the clock and they have short change, Rapid-fire tips for making your wallet stretch and sing.
4: Really a fantastic show, very informative, gives you that uh, look into the eye on the uh, back of the dollar bill, all hosted by Chaffins McClurvey, fantastic analyst from the Tate School of Financial Analysis Absolutely. Hey, uh, Bryce, let's take a look, let's take a little listen to that segment, actually, short change. Here's from last week with uh, Chaffins McClurvey. Uh, you got to diversify and then uh, when you're done diversifying, you're going to uh, invest again and then uh, take some of that money out, reinvest. But only do it in uh, uh, CDs and uh, bonds. But the uh, bonds, bonds, no, don't do what, bonds. What, what,
5: what, about, what about banks? What about banks, Chaffin? What's what about banks, banks?
4: banks? Absolutely, 100% <laughs> banks are good. Banks are also bad if they get too big. So stay away from big banks, stick with middle banks, except unless you have a lot of money and then you go to the big bank. But make sure it's FDA federally Chaffin's
5: insured. Chuffin, it's an FDIMC
4: fantastic radio, educational, informative, entertaining, all of these things. And your donations keep the doors open. Keep our voices going across the radio, going into your radio, and then getting converted into some sort of sound that comes out of your speakers.
5: By the by, the small bones in your ears. That's right. And the tiny of, hairs. Speaking of bones, a show that's very close to my heart, is osteoneurosis
4: osteoneurosis is one of my favorite shows on the network
5: i, I appreciate that myself and, and boxer quan um you know we take the time every week to to talk to experts in the field of, of skeletons uh talk about uh, uh, uh skeletons that, that live live inside us and live, just the, the we take it for granted it, it it's it, it's it, it's it's the the hangers for our body
4: mm-hmm absolutely if uh, if I didn't have my skeleton, there'd be no way for me to get up every morning,
5: absolutely, much like I hear from people when they say, without our great shows, they would have no reason to get up in the morning.
4: Mhm, absolutely, And those donations save lives
5: absolutely. It is not an understatement to say that it is the most important thing you can do just to give back a little bit, um you know because we we provide great programming, great programming like the show you're listening to now, and also shows like Urban Perspectives
4: Urban Perspectives hosted by Wilberforce Cornwall is a fantastic look at our neighbors inside of the city Uh, there's a group of a panel of uh, suburban gentlemen that get together on a weekly basis Sundays at 8pm you can listen to them and they'll talk about issues with urban people
5: Right, right. And if, and if you happen to be an urban person, just tune out for this portion of PBR. Maybe go uh, spend some time with one of your great gifts you got from pledging. But if you do happen to be uh, from the suburbs or from, from the country, even somewhere near uh, Time's Gone By River, uh, you will want to tune in every Sunday at 8.
4: Because you want to check up. You want to have a checkup on what our urban friends are up to. Make sure they're not getting themselves into any trouble
5: absolutely absolutely and uh, speaking of our neighbors in the city what about our our uh, neighbors across the pond
4: you know oh I'm yes going with this. I think I do you're talking about listen to me I've been to Europe the great storytelling show where we have a guest come on who's recently been to Europe and has thus been enlightened is now refocused is re-emerging from a chrysalis to be a new person Someone who talks about Europe all the time.
5: Like a, like a butterfly with a fake accent. Our guests come on and they, they tell you about lifts, trolleys, prams, mm-hmm. bobbies, uh, the German word for cops, all mm-hmm. of these things and more. And And it's a rich educational experience that's going to make you feel like you've crossed the ocean without leaving your own afghan. And really, I've been all around the world. With that show, and another place that another show that that brings me into worlds, worlds of fiction, worlds of nonfiction, worlds of periodicals and dictionaries and thesauruses,
4: is your show Words Eye View. That's right. Thanks for bringing up my show. I wasn't going to do it, but uh, yes, that's part of the public broadcast radio family that that I do every week. Words Eye View, uh, where we take a look at the world of books through the eye of words.
5: Absolutely. And not just words with the letter I. That's the thing yeah. I always thought was interesting. And and, and we, we realize that, that you love shows like these shows and you, you want us to you want to listen to them, you want us to give back to them, but without your help, we can't put on these shows, Malik and I. But don't think that you're gonna go home empty handed, because if you donate, when you pledge, you're not just saving our jobs and saving great programming for everyone that's brought to you without commercials but you can even receive some very exciting rewards.
4: That's true. We mentioned already the Afghans made by actual Afghans, Mm -hmm. public broadcast radio Afghans. That's part of our donation at the $500 level.
5: Link, what if I have a little extra money to spend, though?
4: Well, if you go from the $500 to the $600 level, not only will you be saving great programming, which we've mentioned before, enriching lives of people around you, you'll also be receiving one of our signature PBR tote bags. This is a hot, hot seller. Everyone loves these tote bags.
5: They can, they can hold up to two books. They can two hold up to books. one ask
4: one afghan a very slender like an ipad maybe your cellular phone or if you're if you're one of our friends from listen to me i've been to europe a mobile phone
5: absolutely absolutely and if, if you're one of our friends who donates at the 700 hundred dollar level mm-hmm. your tote bag will fit in our custom gym bag
4: that's right custom gym bag because while you're working out you'll want to get Not just exercise for your body, but also your mind, which is why we have such wonderful, enriching programming. And this gym bag is a great place to put your tote bag, which has an Afghan and your iPod or your cellular or mobile phone right inside of it.
5: Absolutely, absolutely. But but Malik, what if I had a little extra what if I cared just a little bit more?
4: Yeah, if you do, if you care at the eight hundred dollar level. We're talking about tote bags, gym bags, but also that gym bag. Why carry that in your arms when you've got a torso you can strap it to? We're talking about a backpack to put all of that in.
5: Absolutely, absolutely. You can just put it on your bag and uh, make your way through through the suburbs or urban environment or if you're one of those lucky people through Europe, or just never leave your afghan and just wear your backpack that holds a gym bag that holds a tote bag.
4: That's right. You can take it hiking. You can take it urban hiking or sidewalking. You can go literally anywhere with it. You can take you can it on play
5: tennis side. with it.
4: Now, Bryce, this is where it gets a little tricky because when you get to the $950 level of care, you have a choice. You can mm. you can get your special edition this American loaf sandwich bags or our listen to me. I've been to Europe, duffel bag.
5: That, that, that's right, and it, it synergizes so well with your generosity. These sandwich bags can go into tote bags, gym bags, or backpacks, all three of which can go into a duffel bag when you go to Europe. Imagine uh, These that. sandwich bags can have any other kind of bread, any bread in them, um, rye for rye week, uh, pumpernickel for pumpernickel October. Uh, uh, you, you can get wheat for wheat December. Any of the celebrations of different bread.
4: Any of the celebrations. And of course, we all know, thanks to this American loaf, I wouldn't have known it otherwise, that sandwiches are made of bread.
5: I I have been just kind of holding the meat between my fingers.
4: Yeah. But now there's a better way. You get that, you can put your bread you can put your meat in your bread and then put your bread in a sandwich bag, which then goes into a backpack, which is holding a gym bag and a tote bag and an Afghan.
5: Malik, what if I'm feeling even more generous?
4: Wow. Uh, at this point, we almost don't even have the words. Literally, our entire programming is made up of people talking. But this would leave us all speechless. If you're going this level, the $1,000 level, not only would you have a potential sandwich or duffel bag, backpacks, gym bags, tote bags, and an Afghan. We're talking about also adding a gift bag.
5: It's all gonna come in a nice collectible gift bag. That's correct. You can you can use again and again.
4: Mm-hmm. But think about the joy that not only okay, our shows have given you hours of joy per year. You listen to our broadcasting all for free, commercial free, and then you decide, I've got a little bit of money, I care about this programming, I'm gonna Donate at the one thousand dollar level. You get all of these bags, but then that that feeling of generosity, it's still living inside of you. You can give your tote bag, your gym bag, your backpack, your sandwich bag inside of that gift bag to another person.
5: Every every time they look at that bag, they're gonna they're gonna think about all of the thousands of hours of program we provide you without interruption. We just give you free, commercial free programming out of the kindness of our hearts. And and every time they look at that tote bag or that sandwich bag or even one of our limited edition burlap sacks that you can get by adding a $50 star kicker onto your payment. If you join at the $2,500 level, we'll give you a Nosferat tote. It is a living, breathing tote bag, part of the Backpackula family.
4: It was specially designed for our public broadcast radio listeners by the guys over at Pitch Industries took their um, backpackula idea and refined it for our audience. And that's where you get the Nosferatote.
5: Not only do we get our undying appreciation, you'll also get thousands of free uninterrupted hours of entertainment a year.
4: That's correct. You know, I was going to save this for a little bit later, but But since I'm looking at this counter and I'm seeing how many donations we're getting, I I just can't wait. We just heard from Harrison Wheeler. Harrison Wheeler, of course, from Tales of Times Gone By River. He's informed me that he's just teamed up with none other than singing sensation Josh Groban for Tales from Lake Groby Gone.
5: Malik, I can already tell that's going to be my absolute favorite show.
4: Okay, everyone, we're going to return you back to your programming. I know we've taken up a little bit of your time today, but we want to appreciate you sticking around, staying with us while we uh, tell you about our great programming, tell you about all the ways that we can help you live a better life, and just taking that extra moment to call us up and donate or send us your credit card numbers so that we can donate for you. Either way, we really appreciate it.
5: Or, or just donate because what what we're doing is so important and uh and and you know that it's the best part of your day it's one of the parts of our days and uh and and we we hate to keep you away from your uninterrupted free commercial free broadcasting and uh and and we really appreciate you taking the time so i think i think we're coming right back to booked
4: Yep, that's right. That's right, Bryce. Thank you again for coming in and helping me out here with this part of the fun drive. Uh, Later on in the day, we're going to have a visit from Ira Grass. He's going to be here. So now we'll be returning you to Booked, but continuing this pledge drive for the next six weeks or until we reach our goal. Keep reading.
5: Keep reading for the stars.
1: All right. That was uh, Malik Timbali and that other guy. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean... Totally worthy cause. I mean, there are far uh, worse causes that you could send your money to. Um, I personally can never have enough bags, so I will be contributing four or five hundred dollars, whatever it is, to get the bag in a bag in a bag. To, <laughs> to, from from the NPR Pledge Drive, but you know, I, I think everyone should definitely send some money uh, that guy's way.
0: Yeah, if you're if you're a booked listener, a loyal booked listener, I know you're going to contribute at the gift bag level, which I think is like two thousand dollars or something like that, at least. So, that's it. Words I view. Um, did you catch the the special mention of the uh, the boys at Pitch Industries? I did. I uh, did. A little uh, little mention. That was a little subtle shout out to our our, uh, our friends Brayton Cameron and uh, Gary Butterfield, who did the Pitch uh, a, a podcast, which I love greatly, but has ended. They I love that podcast so much, um, and they, they they did a little shout out to. Backpackula, which was their invention, which was a backpack that sucked your blood. <laughs> it was just, it was ridic- it's ridiculous. It's kind of ridiculous. You know, it's kind of
1: ridiculous when, when you say it like that, but if you actually listen to the episode of the pitch, it's pretty brilliant.
0: <laughs> and actually I contributed a couple ideas to that, uh, to the podcast too. I came up with uh, an, uh, an idea called our house, which is a, uh, a house you rent by the hour so that when you take your dates there, you look like you're richer than you actually are nice very nice and a little character or a little type of little well, i guess a little job i guess you would say call um called a doormanatrix. you can kind of
1: guess what that is <laughs> i'm gonna pass on guessing what that is but yeah <laughs> listeners could probably draw their own conclusions
0: <laughs> so considering the the length of that clip i think we've drawn this out about as far as we could possibly hope to
1: we have so come back in just a few short days and if you can't wait that long don't forget to check out our latest episode of crime wave too
0: that's right. Mary Graham reading his story. Big Davey joins the majority. Good stuff. That's a great story. All right. Until next time, I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.